We are continuing our series in the book of Colossians. So if you will, turn with me to chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back and some people would love to bring you. So just raise your hand and you will receive that which you ask for. Colossians 3, we are slowing down a bit. And we're going to look at two verses this morning, starting in verse 20. In 1989, a movie came out starring Kevin Cosner called Field of Dreams. Now, some call this a baseball flick. It's not a baseball flick. Really, at the heart of this movie, right, the, the sort of primary theme and motif is about the relationship between father and and son. So at the end of the movie, at the sort of emotional uh, climax of the movie, Kevin Cosner's character asks his dad, you want to have a catch? And it's a really powerful moment if you've seen the movie. Because it's sort of a universal moment. What boy doesn't want to have a catch? With his dad. Or or what adult wouldn't almost give anything to just have one more catch with their dad? And what makes this 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 movie and this moment so powerful is that it's really not about baseball. It's it's not about sports. It's about closeness. It's about this character wanting to be close with his father. If only for a moment. Wired deep into all of our souls is a longing for closeness. A longing to be close to our parents. A longing for sons to be close to their fathers, daughters to their mothers, and everything in between. Now, last week we we, we talked about the, the closeness and the bondness between husband and wives. This morning, we want to think through and we want to look at what does the family look like? What does it look like to have fathers and mothers be close with their children? As I said last week, what we see in verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, these are household codes. These were typical in Paul's day. And these household codes were basically general expectations put on society for men and women, parent, child, and everything in between, what, what does it look like to be a good citizen? Like, how, how does society function? And yet Paul, he flips the cultural script. And he puts Christ at the center of these household codes. So last week we talked about what does it look like to put Christ in the center of marriage. This week we're going to look at what does it look like to put Christ at the center of of the relationship between parent and child. And really, the point of all of this is, how do we have a close relationship? And the surprising answer is, it has everything to do with how we relate to authority. So the big idea behind me is simply this. Children and also parents relate to authority in such a way 
that it pleases the Lord. So we're first going to look at the relationship between children and parent. So I'm going to be speaking mostly to children, and then we'll shift over and talk to parents. And like I said last week, I really do think that this is for all of us, and by God's grace, hopefully there's going to be applications for us all. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. I've read this so much I could probably just say it right to you. But children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So first, that first verse. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, when we use the word children, we we sometimes think of toddlers, right? Well, Paul's not meaning this. Paul's meaning generally like school-aged kids, kids that can listen and reason with. So, so think of most, uh, most probably like double-digit children, okay? So, so if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler here and you think, oh, this isn't talking about me, well, actually, Paul had in mind generally the people who were, you know, school-aged, 6 to 18, those still living in the home who are not adults in that sense, but who are nevertheless under their parents' authority, living in the home, but are not like one or two, but, but children who you can reason with and have conversations with. And so he says, children, obey your parents. And basically, I just want to kind of put out the, the, the sort of theme or the point that Paul is making here. And it's this. So children... You know, 5 to 18, and this applies to all children, but particularly 5 to 18, that's kind of our cultural context. One of the best ways you can express your relationship with Christ, one of the best ways you can display the gospel to your parents, one of the best ways you can display the fruit of conversion in your life is how you relate to your parents' authority. That's what Paul's saying there in verse 20. So, so this command we see in verse 20, the command to obey, it's interesting because it's a different word than we saw in verse 18, right? In verse 18, we see wives submit, and that, that verb submit, it's, it's different than the word we find in verse 20 when it comes to obey. So, so like I said last week, the idea of submission, it is a voluntary choice, but the verb here for obey it's a more absolute command. And the word really is two Greek words smashed together. It's two Greek words, and, and it's the Greek word for listen and under, which is beautiful when you think about it. So, so sort of the, the context is basically, in kind of plainly, Paul saying, children, listen and sit under the authority of your parents. That's the whole idea of that one word, obey. It's, it's really the idea of listen, hear, and then obey and follow. Listen under. Now, if you're anything like me, so often I'll have conversations with my kids and my family, and I'm constantly saying, hey, are you listening to me? Can't be just me. We throw the, the, the word obedience around, but have you ever thought about obedience, close connection with listening? Obedience starts with listening. Even the game Simon Says, which is basically a, a game about, about obedience, 
right? Simon says, sit down. You sit down. Simon says, stand up. You stand up, right? The whole idea of obedience in the game, Simon says, is predicated on listening. If you don't listen carefully, you're out of the game. Obedience in a general sense is predicated on and grounded in first listening. But listening is difficult, isn't it? So often it's, it's hard to listen or we have lots of reasons why we're not listening. And it's not just children, okay? It's all of us. All of us have a hard time from time to time with listening. Right? That, that famous uh, verse in James about listening, right? I think our culture has turned that verse on its head. Now we are slow to hear, quick to speak, and fast to unfollow. Isn't that kind of sum up the manner in which we use our words and listen? I think children just embody what is a temptation that's common to us all. A desire to talk more than we listen. And when you think about it, some of the reasons why we don't listen, all of those reasons, and we have many of them, and we could, if we had a whiteboard, we could list all of them, but at its heart, the reason why we don't listen in conversations, it all boils down to our pride. We, we think, oh, I'm more of an expert than you are, so I should have the authority to talk and you listen. Listening always takes humility. Asking questions in order to learn takes humility. Listening is the posture that says, oh, I might not know everything. Listening is the posture that says, you might be able to teach me something that could be helpful to me. Listening is the posture that says, oh, I should give you the benefit of the doubt and I should ask questions and ask you, oh, what do you mean by that? Oh, how would you define that? Because I want to listen and learn from you. Talking often is easier than listening. Especially when we're in a conversation or a meeting with people and we realize, oh, I am more the expert. I've read more. I know more. And so I should be the one who's platformed to speak. Now, I've learned one thing in my many years of pastoral ministry, right? And that's this, that one of the greatest skills, one of the greatest tools, especially in times of controversy and times of disunity is the skill and the tool of just listening. And I can tell you this, I've learned that the hard way. Walked into a meeting, thought I knew and decided, oh, I'm going to be the one that's going to talk. Instead of first took a posture of just listening and asked questions. Listening takes humility. It takes the sort of humility that asks questions. It takes an attitude that says, maybe they might have my best interest at heart. Maybe I should give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I should just sit and listen first before I jump on them. It's a grace. That's what listening is. It's a posture of grace that we give to people. And so often that's what's hard with parenting. A parent says, okay, we're going to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to clean your room. I want you to put down the video games, whatever it is. And it's hard to respond with listening and then obeying. 
Often on Saturday, my kids will say, why can't we watch TV all day? Now, I could as a parent say, okay, let's have, a, let's have a conversation. I could get out the whiteboard, get out a pie chart. I could show them all the data about what TV does and how it rots their brain, right? I could show them how they're, they're, the brain just explodes when they read, but it does very little and it's passive when they're watching television. Like, I could do all that, right? I, I could talk about, okay, I'm trying to teach you about the power of delayed gratification, right? <laughs> I could do all of that. And maybe I should do that. But at the end of the day, as I, as I parent them, as I'm trying to mature them, I'm going to say, okay, we're not going to watch TV all day. And so the question is, even if they don't understand, even if they disagree, even if my logic breaks down at points, what I'm wanting as a parent is for them to give me the grace to say, though I don't understand, though I'm discouraged, though I'll never maybe agree, I'm going to give you the grace of listening to you and heeding your counsel. So children, and remember, I'm not speaking to two-year-olds, like school-aged. I think especially if you consider yourself a Christian, The question for you this morning would be this. Are you listening and obeying your parents? And with with what attitude? When your parents ask you to clean your room or set the table, do you see that as an extension of your relationship with Christ? And does your attitude come with it? The other day, my, one of my kids was getting frustrated and angry, and I told my, my child to sit down before I would have a conversation with them. And they wouldn't, and I said, I need you to sit down, and then we can have this conversation. And eventually they sat down, but I could see it in their eyes. They were sitting down on the outside, but they were standing up on the inside. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a way to obey and yet not obey. Obedience can be a lovely thing, but it's an empty exercise without an attitude that follows it, a Christ-like attitude. Children, obey your parents, it says. And then do you see the realm of that obedience? It says, obey in everything. Not, not when you feel like it. Not when it's convenient. Not when it makes sense to you. It says in everything. Now, just... In a side in one sense, this is not like carte blanche for parents to be abusive and sinful and then you must obey in that. that that's not, right? That's, but those aside, those cases aside, and they do exist, but those cases aside, the general principle is that you can obey your parents in the realm of every aspect of your life. Now, if you need some incentives, Paul gives us an incentive. So here's the incentive that Paul gives to children as it relates to their obedience to their parents. He says, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So so your obedience, even in the trivial things, even in the things that don't make sense, it's not a trivial thing at all. It's connected actually to your worship of Jesus. So, So your obedience to your parents is actually how one way, not the only way, but one way in which you relate to Christ, one way in which you worship Christ. 
I actually found that one of the clearest signs of conversion of a young adult is in the change in attitude and behavior that they relate to their parents. There's a softness to authority, a willingness to more quickly and fully obey, which I think makes perfect sense, right? Because the gospel is simply Christ's obedience to save a disobedient people. Christ obeys the Father, and he dies because of our sinful disobedience. And then through faith, we we get a new heart with new desires in order to obey him and please him. That's the gospel. So Christian, or so for children, right? Especially those children who consider yourself to be Christians. Let me just encourage you. Your obedience to your parents, it's an opportunity. Actually, it's one of your greatest opportunities to express your devotion to Christ within your family. Your obedience is a way in which you can dangle the gospel before your parents and say, just as Christ obeyed unto death, so I can obey you even when I don't believe that this is right or I don't want to. Obedience from children as it relates to parents, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to worship Christ. It's an opportunity to display your your relationship with Christ, and it's an opportunity to dangle the gospel before your parents. That's the first point. Children, obey your parents. But children, I'm not going to let the parents off. So here comes, here comes the, the other point, all right? Verse now 21. So now we shift from first. Children, obey your parents. Then, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, in Paul's day, Paul's culture, right, Roman culture, it was a patriarchy. So under Roman law, during Paul's life, there was a a section of, of Roman law called the patria potestis, called the power of the father. So under this provision, a father could do pretty much anything he wanted to. So he could, he, he, he could beat his children. He could sell his children to slaves for his financial well-being. He could actually murder a child and get away with it. So a father had power untold. Fathers in particular wielded the cultural power and influence in Paul's day. So I don't think it's any wonder that Paul uses the general word, look, look there in verse 20, for, for uh, parents, he uses a general word, and then in verse 21, it shifts to fathers. I, I don't think he's saying that mothers, this doesn't relate to you, but he's saying, yeah, but in, especially in that context, and in, in ours as well, fathers wield a particular power and influence. And so Paul turns and says, Generally, and you're going to hear me say this, generally parents, but then specifically fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so as Paul is talking about the family, as he's calling children to obey, he turns to fathers particularly, but then parents in general. And he says, and we see the command there, he says, do not provoke them. Now, what, what does that mean? It's kind of a weird way 
Like, I've never, my children have never said, Dad, you're provoking me. Well, well, it's to irritate. It's to nag. It's to criticize. It's to demean or deride a child. Paul's basically saying, parents in general, fathers particularly, don't put your children down. Now, why would he give that particular command? Right? Not, not, to, not, not for parents and particularly fathers to, uh, to provoke your children. I think it makes perfect sense because sometimes when we're at our wits end, sometimes when parenting gets hard, it's the very thing we do in order to get our kids to obey. Uh, this past week I read, uh, and I, I've, I, I can barely, I, I've like read, read uh, like two horses in my life. So, so I'm not an expert in horses, but I was reading and I learned that there's generally two ways in order to get a spirited horse to obey. The first is you can use a halter and a bit and a blanket and a saddle, and you can use a lot of patience and you can get a spirited horse in order to eventually become an obedient horse. It takes time, it takes those tools, but eventually you can do it. That's the preferred method. There's another way, and that is you can just knock the horse to its knees over and over again until it finally obeys. But what I learned this week is that if you do that, Eventually, you have a horse that's spiritless, and the horse will never be what it was. I think sometimes we do that with our children. In our attempt to get them obey, we provoke them so much that we knock the spirit out of them. Yes, they obey, but it's just a blank obedience. They're just biding time until they can get out of the house. And so when we try all these methods, sometimes I think we reach down and say, oh, maybe, maybe provoking will work. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 fathers and parents, don't stoop to that parenting tool. Don't provoke your children. Because what does he say? What is the inevitable consequence of a parent and particularly fathers who provoke their children? Do you see it? Discouragement. That's what provoking leads to, discouragement. And so sometimes there's this temptation, I think, between all parents, maybe particularly men and fathers, to wield the, the, the toxic cocktail of criticism and nagging and manipulative shaming in order to get our kids to obey. And it comes at great cost the cost of our children's disobedience. And so Paul says, fathers, don't provoke. Now, this doesn't mean don't discipline, okay? So I just want to, to, to think through this, right? Like, what is the difference between disciplining your child and provoking your children? Like, what does that look like? I mean, in Paul's days, a father could get away with murder. I think our society isn't that way, right? It's almost as if children can get away with murder these days. If we've swung any way, it might have gone that way. So, 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 so what does disciplining a child look like without provoking a child? Well, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says this, right? And the Proverbs, we read them earlier. There's lots of Proverbs that are of, of great use 
to the parent. Proverbs 22, verse 13 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So so what this is saying is that discipline is the godly wielding of parental authority to help a child become less foolish. That's what parenting is all about. Parenting is an attempt to grow up our children so that they become less and less foolish, right? When you see your kid and they're not sharing, you're not like, ah, that'll work it out. No, you, someday you want them to be generous. And so you're trying to mold them into getting off the, the foolishness of hoarding because you don't want them to be a hoarder one day. You want them to be generous. And so you parent and discipline in such a way to, to get the, the foolishness out of them. So you don't discipline because you're annoyed at your children. That's provoking. You don't discipline because you're just mad that they're not living up to your expectations. You don't smear them in shame. You don't discipline because you're angry at them or frustrated or you're just lazy. I I thought of this the other day. My kids like wanted to go outside and I was like, no. It's, isn't it, it's so scary how like quickly no comes out sometimes, right? And the reason is because I was reading a good book and I wanted to sit on the couch and I didn't want to go outside. And so I just made this arbitrary rule, no, don't go outside, because then I would have to go in because it had implications on me. That's bad parenting. But there is a type of discipline that's good and godly and necessary that, that helps our children become less foolish and hopefully wiser as they grow up. So discipline, I think for it to be truly biblical discipline, it always must be an outworking of love. That's how discipline isn't provoking. We correct their folly and we do so with wisdom. So Christian parents, we're not content just with kind of changing foolish behavior, right? That's just Mormon parenting. We don't want to parent like Mormons. To be true Christian parents, we want to actually shepherd their foolish hearts. So ultimately, as we parent and we seek to correct foolish behavior, we're hopefully trying to, what? We're trying to give them love, the love of the gospel. We want to restore their relationship, offer forgiveness, and build them up in Christ. To take a foolish heart and tell them that it can be cleansed by the power of the gospel. So, Yes, we need a discipline. But discipline in, in a purposeful way. Do it in order to raise up our children in godliness. So, so parents, particularly fathers, here's a call not to provoke, to criticize, to nag, to be overly strict in relationship to our children. Right? We, we don't want homes in which our, our kids are just walking on eggshells. Just, just hoping that our parents don't explode in anger or frustration or irritability. All of that provokes children to discouragement. Parents, particularly fathers, be consistent in our parenting. And when we're not consistent, which none of us are truly consistent, ask for your children's forgiveness and then start all over again. Now, I, I say that, but I think one of the the best ways to not provoke our children lest they become discouraged is actually to not stay far away from our children. So in Greek mythology, when you just think about it, you know, 
take the, the pop culture one and Percy Jackson or, or if you read the old stuff, right? The, the pop culture, you, you have these Greek gods who stay on Mount Olympus and they've got children on earth, but they're at a distance. They just kind of bark orders and every once in a while, they'll get their hands dirty in their children's affairs. We should never take our parenting advice from Greek mythology. Parents that kind of just stay away at a distance, we should be getting closer and closer and closer to our kids. We should be modeling our parenting on the gospel, not Greek mythology. Right? The gospel says God so loved the world that he sent his son. Right? If you want to see the closeness, almost the offensive closeness of Christianity, you just got to see the incarnation, God becoming a man. That's the type of closeness God has with humanity. And he does so in order to redeem a people for himself. That's what the father does with his children. He sends his son. That's the kind of closeness. And then, he, then what does he do then? He, he resides in us. Talk about closeness. We shouldn't provoke our kids into discouragement by staying far away from them, which means that we need quality time and quality time, quantity and quality. And I say that with, I know there's a lot of young families in, and in your 30s and 40s, that's like, that's when you're getting your careers in place. And I know there's a lot of expectations on you. And yet, and yet, in order to encourage our children and grow them, and to even just see the foolishness in their hearts, we need to spend quality time and a quantity of time. So, Fathers, particularly, and parents in general, do spontaneous fun stuff with your kids, right? Fathers, I think you should be the captain of fun in your family, right? I think you should, when your kids are in your pajamas, you should just not say something and just order your kids to get in the car. And when it's August, you should turn on Christmas music. You should blast it and drive to the Dairy Queen drive through and get Heaven's ice cream, which is the blizzard. There's definitely going to be blizzards in heaven. I guarantee it. It's that good. And enjoy a blizzard as you sing Christmas carols. Or do whatever, I'm joking, right? But have fun. Make those memories. Because I know that the more fun you have and the closeness, that's where the true conversations go, come in, don't they? Be spontaneous with fun. Be annoying with how often, parents in general, fathers in particular, be annoying at how often you say, I love you to your kids or I'm proud of you. And not just when they do good things, but say, I love you when you do good stuff and I don't love you any less when you do bad stuff. Do your kids know that? When your kids are in bed, before you go up to bed, get, stand outside in a creepy way outside of their door and get on your knees and pray for them. And pray for intimacy with them, a closeness with them. Parents in general, fathers in particular, as you're driving home, park a block away and just pray for a moment. Take just like two or three minutes and take a deep breath and pray right before you walk into the home. Pray that you would have the energy. Maybe you just had a horrible work day, an exhausting work day. You got beat up at work and just stay and say, God, help me to put that at my job. My, 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 my family and my kids don't deserve this. I don't want to walk up and just be like, what happened in here? Like, why is it? No, 
Pray for an attitude in which you can serve your family. Many of these come because these are all my failures. So you're getting the many of the things that I'm working through in my own family. I think most of all, ask for your kids' forgiveness. And don't just do it in a general way. Be specific. But when you sin against your children, name your sin. And then ask them, would you forgive me for doing, for losing my temper, for being agitated, for, for not showing up here and there? Will you, will you forgive me? And then reconcile with your child. Parents, and then particularly fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Because I think here's the the real tragedy of this, and this is how I'm going to put it together. I think Paul puts it together in this wonderful thing, and it's this, that children are hardwired to please their parents. They, they are. We see this especially in younger kids, right? Daddy, mom, look at me, look at me, right? Oh, oh. I mean, I'm coaching, as you, as you know, my, uh, one of my kids' basketball um, team. Like, why does he really want to play basketball? And why does he work so hard on the basketball when he's playing defense and trying to shoot? Why? I know why. It's because he wants to please me. And I got to be really careful with that, right? He wants to please me. That's why kids draw pictures to their parents and to their grandparents. They want to please. That is hardwired into children, a desire to please their parents. And so what we want to do is actually use the opportunity, use the hardwiring of children to please their parents and wean them off of pleasing us onto pleasing Christ. Do you guys see that in verse? That, that's how verse 20 and 21 work. We want to grow our children into adults that don't please us. That's not, right? We want them to ultimately please God. That's the connection between verse 20 and 21. So, so parenting is the long and patient building up of our children in Christ by grace through the empowerment of the Spirit. And one of the ways we do that is by not tearing them down. So if our goal is for our children to someday please God, verse 20, then we must never do something to make that harder, verse 21. So if our goal is, to use an analogy, if you want a parent, or as a mother, weans her children on a solid Food, so parents are seeking to wean their children off of pleasing them in order that they might please Christ. That's what we're trying to do as parents. That's the goal of Christian parenting. Not that they would just obey the rules. No, no, we want our kids to love the rules. It's just like uh, Christianity, right? It's not enough just to obey God's word. Uh, in our corporate prayer gathering, we were meditating on and praying in light of Psalm 19, right? And, and it talks about God's word like honey. It's a delight. It's sweet. It's amazing. We want, we want not just to obey God's word. We want it to be so sweet that it tastes like honey. Well, that's what we want in our parenting. 
that our kids not just obey us and obey the rules, but that they love the rules because they're flourishing in those rules. That's what we want in our families. To, to shepherd them in such a way that we wean them off of pleasing us to pleasing Jesus himself. So don't make it harder on them, parents. Don't make it harder on them to glorify Christ through obedience by provoking them. Which might mean you need less rules than more rules. Or maybe you do need more discipline. But you need to marinate that discipline in the grace of God. Rules are necessary. But they're always necessary in the context of relationship. So parents, you do have authority. You wield a lot of authority in the family. But wield it in such a way that builds up your children so that they please Christ. Never with an over-strictness that crushes their spirit. There is a, uh, a husband and wife who were quite a bit older, had grandkids that I just really admired. Kind of how all their kids turned out. And I just said, all right, give me some parenting advice. I've got little kids. Can you just give me some parenting advice? What did you do right? Or maybe what did you do wrong? And this is what they said. I was talking to the husband at that point and I said, give me some advice. And he said, we learned early on that we wanted to say yes more than no. I think that's really good advice. Parents, you should look for every opportunity to say yes to our kids. It's so easy to just say no, right? Our kids, we, we're, we hate it when our kids learn the word no, right? At like one or two and they say no and it's just crushing. And so they keep, par- they keep like saying no to us. And then what do we do? We parrot it back to them and just say no. Parenting is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But parenting is like football. It's a timed sport. As many of you can attest to, at some point, your kids leave the home. And in that sense, the game's over. Moses in Psalm 90 tells us to number our days so that we'd live wisely. I think, parents, we should be numbering our days. Numbering our days because children at some point will move out of the home. So steward the time wisely. There's going to come a day when my daughter stops asking me to come up late into the night and read some fantasy with her. But that day's going to come to an end. There's going to, I knew I shouldn't end it this way. <laughs> There's going to be a day when my son doesn't ask me to do Lego or draw with him. And there's going to be a day someday that my son's not going to want to have a catch with me. Steward the time you have. Don't provoke your children. Build them up and encourage them. And children... As your parents do that, as they shepherd you, as they love you, not everything is going to make sense, but they want your best. They want to grow you in maturity. They want you to thrive. They have your best interests generally at heart. So listen to them. Heed their authority. Follow them. And it'll go well with you. And you'll be joyful. And ultimately, 
the greatest motivation. It's a pleasing aroma to Christ himself. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for, for just the reminder, the reminder to number our days, the, the reminder that, that we have an opportunity, whether we're aunts or uncles or grandparents, parents, we have an opportunity to together collectively mature and grow up the children in our care. Help us to do that more faithfully, more biblically, more saturated in the grace of God. Lord, I pray for discouraged parents. I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray for discouraged children. I pray that you too would encourage them. I pray for patience. I pray that we would bind all these things together as Paul reminds us to, that we'd bind them all in love and that we do this all in your son's name. Amen.